As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis Podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. I am delighted to be joined by Phil Knox, an evangelism and missiology senior specialist at the Evangelical Alliance. Phil is also the author of two books, Storybearer and most recently, The Best of Friends. Phil, thank you so much for coming on the C.S. Lewis podcast. So good to be with you, Ruth. And, and I, what, what an absolute wonderful opportunity to talk about C.S. Lewis together. Just fabulous. Oh, I'm so excited. Well, we've, we heard a bit of your story on the Unapologetic podcast. So if you want to hear more from Phil, then do check that out. But as you say, this is the C.S. Lewis podcast. So before we delve into some of the things that you love about him, I would just love to know, what was your first encounter with Lewis? How did you come across him? Uh, I was a child in the 1990s. And uh, I don't know if you remember the beautiful BBC adaptations of the Chronicles of Narnia. So I think yeah, absolutely. Jumping that kind of, I still, I, could, I mean, I could picture the theme song. You know, the camera going over the map and being. Oh, I had nightmares of the the kind of the portrayal of the White Witch. You know, I just it was just. I probably fell in love with Lucy. You know, it was just, it was so, that for me was just such a powerful. And then the kind of, as a Christian child as well, to begin to understand something of the truths, the gospel through those stories uh, has been a profound, you know, had a profound impact on my life. Um, I mean, this might be sort of like asking you to pick your favourite child, but do you have a favourite quote or book or idea of C.S. Lewis? And, and if you do, why is that your favourite? Yeah, loads. I mean, I think probably for me, I think, yeah, all of them. All no, of them. no, I think, I think for me that I think probably if, if maybe controversially for some listeners, I think the silver chair is, is probably my favourite. I just, I think as a kind of allegory of the Christian life, the battles we face, the themes of kind of obedience and, and, and truth, um, I just love, I kind of love, I'm not, as an optimist, I, I never really got the the character of Puddle Glum. But I think, again, if I'm looking for a favourite character in Narnia, it's probably, probably Puddle Glum in his, you know, in his, in his obedience, that stunning scene, um, a sequence of events in the underworld with the Queen of the Underworld, the release of Prince, Prince Rillian, um, the monologue of 
puddle glum within uh you know i think it's combined something with, you know where he's kind of in, in in conversation with the with the queen of the underworld who says there is no overworld there is no aslan and he says you know but but four babies playing a game can make a world that licks your real world hollow even if there isn't aslan i'm gonna follow him you know i just even if there isn't anania i'm gonna be anania and do you know what i mean i think sometimes as a christian you kind of go you know it just draws something out of you um in you know in a way that says i just even if there isn't a Jesus, I want to live like a Christian. But there is a Jesus. There is an Aslan. You're like, come on. So, yeah, I think that for me, the silver chair just captivated me from start to finish. Now, Phil, you recently finished reading The Chronicles of Narnia with your son. Um, we're going to hear about your experience of that in a minute. But but why did you decide to do that? And and sort of how did you go about doing it? Just just paint a bit of a picture of, of what, the, you know, kind of what your thinking was behind doing that. Was it something that, that was done with you when you were a child? Uh, good question. I can't really remember. I think more I was, it was the 1990s. <laughs> it was the film. <laughs> that was my education. I think I probably, I did read the books after that. Um, I, I think for me, it's, I mean, like, like most of us parents, Ruth, I'm making it up as I go along, but, but. <laughs> You know, people tell me in the books I read, tell me I need to read with my children. Um, and so probably kind of growing up, we kind of, you know, we kind of grew out of Dogman or whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay, I've got a 10 year old and probably when he was kind of, you know, six, seven, eight years old, just began to thought, think, you know, could you, what stories can we read together? And so, so we just began reading, um, I think the first, the line of the witch in the wardrobe, then, then back to the magician's nephew and, the, and then all the way through. But, but I think what, I think what inspired it was just amazing stories, amazing storytelling. Um, uh, nothing deeper than that, probably. Uh, it's been an important ritual and rhythm for us to read with our kids before bed. And, and that was, a uh, Narnia seemed like a, the, the, the best place to go. Now, Phil, you said that you found yourself crying while reading some of these passages with your son, much to his confusion. Um, <laughs> I want to hear a little bit about why he was so confused um, with, yeah. with you crying. Uh, but but also then then we're going to talk about what some of those moments yeah. were and, and why they moved you so profoundly. But before we do that, why why was he so confused that you were crying? <laughs> well, I just think there's just depths on the two. I think I don't know about you, Ruth. I, I think I've read the Chronicles of Narnia at probably a few intervals of my life so I did read them as a child and then probably read them I can't really remember I think I probably read them all again in my kind of 20s and understood a bit more and was moved a bit more and then again as I you know as I hurtled towards 40 you know read them read them again with with Caleb and I think every time as you grow in your understanding of life and your experience of God and your journey of faith and and just as you know, as tragedy has struck and you've been through the battles and blessings of life, those stories just begin to resonate in, in different ways. And so for me, you know, why was he so confused? Well, I was reading about Aslan dying on the stone table. And of course, as a committed, passionate follower of Jesus, all I'm seeing is Jesus dying on the cross and the beautiful allegory and uh, all of that. And and in that moment where you read about a lion dying on a fictional, a fictional lion dying on a fictional stone <laughs> table, you reflect on the real sacrifice that the king of the world made dying on a Roman cross and, and my own brokenness and sin. And, 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 and in that, I embody Edmund, whose life has been set free so so that he can be free and become a, a, a son in Narnia in the same way I've been set free so I can be all I can be by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why I was crying. <laughs> but your son says, Daddy, it's only a lion. <laughs> <laughs> 
And one day my son will read them and he will weep with great with his great enthusiasm because genetics is a terrible thing. <laughs> Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. Well, let's talk a bit about The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, because obviously for so many people that has had such a profound impact on them. What are some of the key moments within The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe that has so moved you and so moved you when you were reading them with yeah. your son? You've obviously touched on the, the death and the resurrection of, of Aslan. But, yeah. but what are some of the other moments? Yeah, I mean, there's loads. I've got my little, got my little copy here from, from childhood. There you go. Look at that with my little tabs. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the first one I, w- I would say is kind of there's this moment, isn't it, where I kind of... Uh, um, they say Aslan is on the move, mm. perhaps has already landed. And then it says, it's a, then a curious thing happened. None of the children that knew who Aslan was, but they, um, but they, they behaved quite differently. Perhaps it's happened to you in a dream that someone says something you don't understand, but in the dream, it feels like it's had an enormous meaning. Yeah, I think there's something, isn't there, about, I think if you are a Christian in 21st century Britain, you kind of, you long for something else. You long for something more. You know, for me, as as a as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I look at the world in desperate need of of hope. I look at my friends who desperately need to know Jesus. I, I look at the global challenges we face. I look at the darkness in our world, the cost of living crisis, threat of World War Three, and I'm like, "Come, Lord Jesus!" You know, you know. My, I, I think when we when you're confronted with the reality of the darkness around us, what you want is something beautiful and something to king of the kingdom to break in and they say aslan is on the move you know you're like getting choked to me because i'm like you know they say the kingdom is coming they say there might be hope they say there are people becoming christians they say revivals on the way something in me is like come on god you know <laughs> and 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 of course then we know as the story pans out that the way that manifests itself in, in, in C.S. Lewis's beautiful allegory is that, that the reign of winter in Narnia just brought spring comes, you know, it's more than a thaw. I think there's a moment where the dwarf says, this isn't, this isn't a thaw, my lady. This is spring, you know, and, and you're like, and, and then naturally, I think what happens is you go, let that happen in our time. Let that happen in our world. They say Aslan is on the move. So there you go is the first one. Um, a sick one. I love the kind of moment in, um, you know, where, where kind of the, uh, there's been the reuniting of the family, uh, as at, at kind of, uh, um, Aslan's how. And there's that moment where 
um, uh, the the Queen and the white the White Witch and, and Aslan go off for a chat. And Aslan comes back and he says, I've settled the matter. She has renounced the claim on your brother's blood. And again, because we know what happens in the story, because we know that the price for Aslan for saying those words is is to die a humiliating and excruciating death and the shame and the pain. He will bear the weight of all that on Edmund. In that moment, we as the reader become Edmund Mm. and, and, and the devil has to renounce the claim on our blood as traitors of the High King. Because of because of what God has done for us on the cross, and of course there are weaknesses theologically you can put all up. But at the same time, there is the truth that death has no power over us. Death has lost its thing, um, as as the Bible tells us, and and that that beautiful picture of that you, Edmund deserves to die, but doesn't because she has renounced his claim on his blood. All those moments combined, and then you got the big battle at the end, the victory. You're like, come on, come on, God. Um, <laughs> All of that stuff kind of, I think, yeah, moves me deeply. Well, I think so many people have, have read The Land of the Witch and watched it, you know, it, it really resonate with lots of those things. But perhaps not everyone has gone on to read the rest of the Chronicles yeah. of Narnia. But you were really moved by a lot of the other books as well. Would you say just a little bit about what it was within The Horse and the Boy that yeah. so moved you? I think you mentioned the speech of Aslan to Shasta, yeah. which is such a beautiful moment. Was there particular moments within that? Speech. And it's a funny one, isn't it? Because it's probably the least read of the, I would guess, of, of the Chronicles Nine. It hasn't been dramatised in, in 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 film as much. But there's this beautiful moment um, towards the end where throughout the story, if you don't know the story, throughout the story, there's this guy called Shasta who's kind of who's who's, who's running away, trying to get to trying to get to Narnia, um, and and he um, various moments, cats or lions play a significant part in his life. And uh, and then he has this encounter with as he's as he's as he's walking along with with that with Aslan and 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 it says that where Aslan says I I was the lion I was the lion who forced you to join with Aravis which is a kind of catalytic friendship Shasta has I was the cat who comforted you in the houses of the dead I was the lion who drove the tra- jackals from you while you while you slept I was the lion who gave the horses the strength of fear for the last mi- last mile I was the lion who you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay a child near death so that it came to shore where a man sat, wakeful at midnight to receive you. And I think as I kind of read that again, I'm like, how often in our lives has God been there in the back? How often has the Lion of Judah been the Lion for us in terms of giving us comfort, protection, growth through pain, God's God's hand with us that we never see, but yet who guards our lives. And I think as I look back on kind of just circumstances in my life, I'm like, the hand of God's been there. And that's that's what's so beautiful. And then, then this kind of na- this narrative continues as this gradual revelation of Aslan comes to Shasta, and then there's this incredible passage at the end of the, 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 the chapter which says, "The High King above all kings stooped towards him. Its mane and some strange and solemn perfume that hung about its mane was all around him. It touched his forehead with his tongue. He lifted his face, and their eyes met." Then instantly the pale brightness of the mist and the fiery brightness of the lion rolled themselves together in a swirling glory and gathered themselves up and disappeared. He was alone with the horse on a grassy hillside under a blue sky and there were birds singing. And I'm like, what an absolute incredible, you know, if you gave me one paragraph to to, to consider the, and what an encounter with Jesus looks like, the high king above all kings stooping 
to, to be with us. The kind of the beauty and the majesty of God who lifts us out of our brokenness to, to be with us. And, and the kind of, then the beauty of creation all around us. I just, I, I'm, I'm bowled away by that. And I, I think I had to pause through that while Caleb looked at me and went, Daddy, why are you crying? <laughs> it's just a lion. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to this C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson, and wishing you a very happy new year. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com where you can also find lots of great articles, resources, and podcasts. And do register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>